Please remain standing and open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 23 to 28. We're going to take a one-week break from Matthew. Next week we'll begin, the Lord willing, we'll begin Matthew chapter 8. But today, a brief hiatus, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and beginning at verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole body and spirit and soul be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Lord God, we thank you that we can be here today. We thank you, Lord, for how good you are. And thank you, Lord, that you are the God of peace. And thank you, Lord, that we have your assurance, we have your presence. And that your grace is with us today. Lord, teach us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever feel like you have nothing left in the tank? Like you're spent? Like you can't go on? You don't know where you're going to find the energy to do what you're supposed to do? You feel like taking a break, but you just got back from vacation? Well, that was me a couple weeks ago, actually. I, I got a bit overwhelmed. Most wouldn't notice. It was mostly internal. But I was overdoing it. I was overthinking things. I had lost some perspective and... Consequently, at lost was losing some of the joy in Jesus. I was, I was not resting, I was striving. And um, you remember that our good friend and brother Dan Berrigan passed to Jesus on uh, January 3rd. And I remember being with the family that day and, and being with him when he went to be with Jesus. And um, those are emotionally charged times. But there were a lot of other things going on at that point uh, in my life. Some very small that I had magnified. And others that were just stuff in life. And uh, just stressful kind of stuff. And um, there were people things. There were uh, health things. Uh, back most of you don't know this uh, because I don't want you to know but now you will know um, and I'll just say don't ask me about it after I tell you please just let it, let it go for a while uh, back in 2001 I was diagnosed with uh, what is called AFib atrial fibrillation an irregular heartbeat now here I was a runner doing all this stuff I remember I would always wear a running uh, heart rate monitor 
Not to check my heart rate. I never thought about that. I only want to make sure my heart rate was in the zone. Okay? So I could get the best workout possible. And I had, I had gotten a new one. I remember I was in the middle of a workout. And I'd run like six miles a day. And I'd run races and stuff. And, and uh, I'm like, this thing's malfunctioning. I take it back to the store. I'm like, this was, I got a bad one. So they gave me another one. Well, that one malfunctioned too. And so... Went to the doctor and they, they said, you've got an irregular heartbeat. It's one of those kind of hereditary things. Uh, can't do much about it. Deal with it. You can have a procedure done if you want and this and that. But pretty much it's one of those things I, I, I've been living with for almost 10 years now. Only thing is, in the last couple of years, it's gotten, it's, I have more episodes where it goes, off, you know, the wrong beat. And uh, sometimes for a day or so. And... Uh, in the last month or so, it had happened more. So that was in the picture as well. And if you know anything about that, you know, you feel like you, you got a dent right here and right here from always checking your pulse, okay? I talked to friends of mine who have this, and they're like, yeah, you're always wondering when the next one's coming or when you're going to get out of the one you're in. And so you put all those things together, and I was weary, I was exhausted I was dragging emotionally and physically and you know what happens when you get like that at least I know what happens when I get like that I start blowing things out of proportion I start uh, responding a little more more uh, quickly to things well that Saturday the 9th of January we were having an elders day away and I didn't want to go it was kind of hard to not go when you called the thing you know uh, I really, I was driving over there, uh, over to ECCU, and I, and I wanted to call the guys and say, hey, I'm going to stay home today. But I kept pushing through it, kept going, and um, just kept fighting through it. You know, we're brought up to just deal with it, you know, and, and uh, you just do that. You don't go tell everyone, you don't be, play the martyr, and oh, I'm so tired, or whatever. You just, you just deal with it. So um, we were having a sharing time that day. And it came around to my turn. It's like, where are you at? You know, how are things going in your life? And I, uh, as it was going around the table, I was thinking, okay, I'm just going to be really uh, cool, calm. calm. I'm, the, I'm the senior pastor. Come on. I can't, you know, can't show too much weakness. So I'm just going to tell them everything's going well and blah, blah, blah. And I'll deal with it right here before it gets to me. So it got to my time and I thought, you know, I was going to put on a good face. And I didn't want to admit where I was. Um, I didn't want them to know and but I, I told him I said here's I'm going to tell you what I don't want you to know and um, it's interesting what being kind of maybe too tired sometimes or letting things drag you down and dealing with things that are stressful will do to you sometimes uh, it really tweaks your perspective and um, what will happen is we focus on things much more closely than we usually do but that's where I was at uh, I was taking things personally I was internalizing I was letting the joy slip away and uh, our guys are so great. They gathered around me and they actually prayed for me. And, uh, and I w- it, w- it, was, it was great. I was like, praise God. That, that, that was what I needed. So we went on a little break and they came back in the room and they're like, executive decision, go home. And I'm like, you don't have to ask me twice. <laughs> and, uh, and interestingly, one of the things I didn't tell them was that uh, one of our cars was broken down. I didn't know what was wrong and I had to, didn't know how I was going to get that thing dealt with before we needed to use one and and then I, I had mentioned that savannah had a couple soccer games that she 
that it was a, the first, a kind of a first type thing for her that I wanted to be at. And anyway, I, was, I, I remember leaving there thinking, how awesome are our elders? How awesome these men are that I get to, to associate with so often. And uh, what they were really putting into practice was Galatians 6. Now, in one part of Galatians 6, it says that each one shall bear their own load. That's the normal cargo of life. That's your stuff. That's the stuff that you pay your bills, you do your thing, you go through your own schedule. But then, in, in, in Galatians 6, 1, it says, bear one another's burdens. That's the overload. That's the more than enough cargo. Well, they were bearing my burdens. They're helping me bear my burdens. They were, they were being biblical. But I was reminded once again how awesome God is, how, how he renews us, how he clears our perspective even in a moment of clarity um, that he can bring about even several times a day even. And especially when our perspective is clouded and when it's um, confused. Because see, the enemy wants us in a tailspin. The enemy doesn't want us uh, having a good perspective. God wants us soaring. But our enemy wants to drag us down. God wants to lift us up. Well, a few days later, one of our elders, uh, Pete Roberts, texted me a note of encouragement. And you know I'm a big texter. And uh, remember when I wasn't? I've learned. But he texted me a note of encouragement and along with some verses. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. And I remember looking them up on my on my phone real quick and, uh, and reading them. And they were just what I needed. I needed to read those words. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete until the day of Christ Jesus. And faithful is he who calls you who will also bring it to pass. I needed to hear those words. Now, most of you know that Pete is a big fisherman. He likes to fish. <laughs> By the way, Pete took that picture of himself after he had caught that, that bass. <laughs> Pete's not here today. He's in Philly, by the way, with, uh, with Phil and the Urban Hope uh, brothers and sisters uh, serving the Lord there. But um, Pete took me fishing once. He let me go with him once. And... Uh, I love to fish, but I'm usually a, a trout fisherman. You know, streams and, and you're trout fishing, you hook them and you pull them right in. It's like, that's it, you know. Well, bass fishing, I found out, was a lot different. When you hook a fish, if the line's too tight, you'll snap. It'll snap it. If the line's too slack, too loose, you'll lose the fish. But if it's just right, you bring it in. Just right. You got to hold it with that tension of not too tight, not too loose. Well, see, what was happening in my life was I was holding it. I'm the one of the ones that holds it way too tight. Not in fishing, but in life. Some of you hold it way too loose. Some of you hold it way too tight. God wants us to hold it just right and see. And again, I lean towards the too tight in life. And what happens is. Um, it equates into some interesting ways of relating to family and friends and coworkers and people out in the community. Um, what I'm prone to do is strive instead of resting. What I'm prone to do is, is to 
re, to disengage rather than to, to uh, engage, keep engaging. I'm prone to lash out in anger versus, uh, versus um, just dealing with it appropriately. I fall short on all three accounts. And I know as people, we're kind of wired that way often that we're prone to strive instead of resting. We're prone to retreat instead of engaging. We're, and we're prone to lash out. Um, I know that. And, um, and we get good at hiding it from the people we want to impress. We get good at hiding it from those that we, that we want to put a good face on for. You know, today you may be carrying burdens that you don't want anyone else to know about. That, that you don't want to burden them. You don't, you don't want to be seen as weak either. You want to be viewed as strong. You don't want people to know how weak you feel or how insecure you feel. You want to be seen as capable and efficient and on top of things. That's me. But I want to give you permission today. I want you to have permission today to loosen loosen your tight grip on your life for a few moments with me as we look at a passage of scripture that was written to people a couple thousand years before us but who were strangely like us they needed reassurance they needed a renewed perspective you see paul wrote this letter to a group of people who were struggling with their own sin in life on a daily basis. And they also had forces outside of themselves that were trying to destroy their faith in Christ. Paul wanted them to know the hope they had in Jesus as well as the certainty of His return. No less than four times in 1 Thessalonians does, does Paul, does the Holy Spirit have Paul mention the return of Christ. interesting that i'm jumping right to the end of a letter (laughs) we're going to look at the bullet points at the end of a letter what about the rest of the the other five chapters what about all that what if i had jumped to the end of the sermon on the mount and just said let's just summarize you know some of you may have been thankful but most of you would say well i'm going to miss out on all that other stuff I want to look at these verses that have been a source of encouragement to me. My prayer is that God would use them in your life today as well to be the same and more for you in whatever you're facing right now. It's written to believers, and it's written to encourage and to assure them. It's a prayer. It's a benediction. It starts in verse 23. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, Now may the God of peace, may the God of peace himself, the Greek word for peace is eirene, and it means the absence or end of strife. The absence or end of strife. That state of untroubled, undisturbed well-being. It's the idea of of true security. If you look over at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3, in context of the day of the Lord, that will come, by the way, like a thief in the night, when those who are not aware of what's going on will not be aware. And while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. 
as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, they will not escape. I remember when our first child, Alexandra, was about to be born and Angela woke up really early one morning and said, my water just broke. And I said, thanks for letting me know. I'm going to go back to sleep now. And uh, let me know if you're feeling all right later. She says, no, we need to go right now to the hospital. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, weren't you listening during the class? <laughs> what class? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it's like, we got in the car and we drove to Long Beach. <laughs> Sudden, sudden destruction might come, will come on those who are saying peace and security when there really is no peace and security. But the God of peace himself, who brings about the absence and end of strife, that state of untroubled, undisturbed well-being, is going to do something. He's going to do something. I ran into my... Hebrew professor from Talbot of 20 some years ago now, 25 years ago I guess whatever it was or, uh, and um, yeah 25 years ago and uh, Dr. Rigsby, just ran into him Tuesday night I love that man, little guy every time he sees you he says Shalom, got a booming voice, Shalom and one of the things he taught us was that that, that word Shalom is that deep, abiding sense of security and well-being because God is in control and He is with you. That overriding well-being that God brings about. God of peace. See, the idea of peace, by the way, is that God has initiated the reconciliation of, of sinners to Himself, of, who become believers. And they are now at peace with him when they come to faith in Christ. That the hostility was all theirs. And that God's peace overcomes that. See, God's peace trumps our tendency to strive instead of resting. God's peace trumps our tendency to lash out. See, God wants us to rest in him, the God of peace. The God of peace himself is going to do something. Well, what will the God of peace do? Verse 23, the God of peace himself sanctify you. May the God of peace sanctify you entirely. Now, sanctify is one of those Christianese words we use. We throw around. We don't really know what it means, but it sounds good. But it means a lot. It's deep. It's meaningful. We need to understand it. Paul is praying that God will sanctify the believer's Entirely, completely. What he's referring to is God's work of setting you apart as a believer, preparing you for his use in every part of life. The Greek word for sanctify is hagiadzo, and it means uncommon. It means holy, sacred, set apart. It signifies the idea of withdrawing from fellowship with the world and having fellowship with God. Withdrawing from fellowship from selfishness by first gaining fellowship with God and toward Him. And what that does is it answers our tendency to 
retreat and disengage because God is in the middle of a process in us of preparing him, us for his use on an ongoing basis. And he's preparing us for his use not just right now, not just two weeks from now or five years from now should, should Christ not come yet. But he's preparing us for eternity in heaven. He's going to sanctify us. I've got a definition of sanctification for you here. Don't try to write this down. It'll be in the blog on Tuesday. Sanctification is an ongoing process dependent on God's continuing action in the believer. Consisting of the believer's continuous struggle against sin. God's method of sanctification is neither activism, self-reliant activity, nor apathy, God-reliant passivity, but human effort dependent on God. I love that. Human effort dependent on God. If you had to give a name to this sermon, it would be cooperating with God. Cooperating with God's process that He has believers in, that He is supervising and He is in control of. Therefore, it will happen. You can, you can contrast sanctification with another big word we throw around that means a lot. Justification. Tie that in with regeneration. There's some nuances there, but the whole idea is that justification and regeneration is birth. Sanctification is growth. Coming to faith in Christ is justification and regeneration. Growing in Christ is sanctification. You ever want to know what the will of God is? You can look inside His book. Now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says in verse 1, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, that's how you should live, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. That's a kind of a microcosm of, of cooperating with God. It says, you know what instruction we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And then he gives a very pointed example. Verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, God's will is perfect and acceptable and pleasing to him. God is at work in us to will and do his good pleasure. He will do what he wills. And his will is our sanctification. It's not going to be a matter of, will I be good enough? Will I be determined enough? Will I be strong enough? God is all of those things. And he's in charge of the process. What else will God do? It goes right along with the sanctification. It says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and 
May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Now, spirit and soul are used rather interchangeably in the New Testament. But what really struck me was the body part, especially because some of my body parts weren't beating the right way when I was reading this. And I was like, hey, this is cool. But see, we say this all the time. We're like, man, I'm falling apart. You know, the older we get. Kids, enjoy it while it lasts, all right? It feels good right now. There's no aches and pains. Not so for your mom and dad or your grandma and grandpa. You wake up every morning, you're like, man, why does it hurt so much? I was sleeping, you know? <laughs> um, see, the thing is, is that God is going to keep us blameless, not just our soul and our spirit, but our body too, at the day of Christ. See, someday, what's deteriorating will be made new. But what this means is that he is going to preserve us. He will complete his... What it really points to is he's going to finish his work in you. Yes, he will. He is going to finish the work he started in you. He is going to complete his work of conforming you to the image of Christ. Philippians 1.6 he will be faithful to complete that work. He will be faithful to complete it until Christ's coming. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 all the way to 5.11 speaks very specifically about Christ's coming. For those that were being shaken a bit by the reality of it, because it was distant, it was future, it was not yet. But see, the Thessalonians didn't have to worry if they would be holy enough or good enough by the time Christ came back, it was God's work and He was going to do it. Same for us. Same for us. How could they be sure? How can we be sure? Why would God do this? How could God do this? Look at verse 24. Because He is faithful. Because He is faithful. It's another word we throw around a lot and kind of ignore its meaning. God is faithful. He who calls you is faithful, the ESV says. He will surely do it. New American Standard says, faithful is he who calls you who will also bring it to pass. How many times have you heard that verse quoted out of context about something else, maybe some good thing in the Christian life? Faithful is he who calls you who will also do it. And it, people just throw in a lot of different it's. Well, there's one it that God is pointing to here. God meant one it. Let's see what it is. Verse 23, sanctify and keep you blameless. That's it. That's what, that's what God is going to do. He's going to sanctify you and keep you blameless until the coming of Christ doesn't mean you're not going to sin. It's not what that means. It means he's going to finish the work in you that he is doing because he is faithful. He remains faithful. He can't deny himself. Sometimes we're faithless. Sometimes we're unfaithful. But God is always faithful and he will always remain faithful. 
he calls and he does reminds me of philippians 2 13 one of my favorite verses for it is god who is at work in you both to will and do his good pleasure he wills it and he does it the word for faithful is pistos in greek and it means that he's worthy to be believed it means that he is true it means that he is trustworthy it means that he is observant and steadfast to his promises it means what we, what we know it means. <laughs> but sometimes we just don't know how to say it. And he's going to bring it to pass because he is faithful. And he calls. Did you catch that? Faithful is he who calls you. It refers to God's call to, to his chosen ones to salvation. His effectual call of his chosen ones to salvation. We've talked a lot the last few weeks about security and assurance. That that eternal security is the truth about what God gives us in Christ. And that assurance of salvation is meaning, means that you know and are confident in that very truth. But see, God calls and he will bring those he calls to glory. And none of them will be lost. None will fall by the wayside. John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus does not mince words, which provides great security for us. Here's what he said. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. There's 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 for you. Faithful is he who calls you. He'll bring it to pass, that sanctification that being preserved until the day of Christ. Verse 40, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day, lest there be any, any confusion. John chapter 10. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. John 3.16 And no one will snatch them out of my hand, even them. Mind-blowing, I know. But if no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand, you can't snatch yourself out of God's hand. When you belong to him. My father, he says, who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. That's cause for a hallelujah. Romans chapter 8. We always quote Romans 8.28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. And then we stop. Read verse 29. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's his purpose for you in Christ. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Those are worded as if they were already accomplished. Because they are in Christ. We just haven't seen the end result yet. God is faithful. See, sanctification is God's job. It's God's job. He is in charge of the whole operation. We are responsible for the cooperation. Cooperating with God. It is not within our power to be sanctified. Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Colossians 1, 27. Christ in you, your hope of glory. It's Christ in you. It's not us being strong. It's not us doing it. It's us cooperating with God and making good choices and wanting to please Him. Only God Himself can separate us from sin to holiness. Only God. See, if we try to do that on our own, we'll be legalistic. We'll be all tight and bound up with our own rules and regulations. We allow God to do his work in us and through us and allow the life of Christ to flow through us and the Holy Spirit indwelling us, moving us to action, there will be freedom, there will be peace, there will be joy in the Holy Spirit. If we want to cooperate with God, he will cooperate with us. Think about it. Those who say, I don't want to do it. I don't want. Let's just say people who say, I don't want to follow Jesus. What happens there? They don't. <laughs> but those who say, I want to follow Jesus. If they peel it back, they realize, God gave me the desire to want that. The gift of faith. And I, I want to go in his direction. And now God, God's going to be at work in us because we're cooperating. We're not hindering the flow. Those are great verses, 23 and 24. That's the ones that Pete sent me. But I kept reading. Why don't we just finish the chapter, you know? I could say I finished the whole chapter there, you know? And so I'll, I'll keep reading these last few verses. The verses that I always kind of ignore. Let's see what it says. Because here's what I realized after I started reading them. If we want to cooperate with God, so what is it that we're to do? And I kept reading and I saw some amazingly simple things that God wants us to do. And they're not sanctification. But God uses them in the process of sanctification that he's bringing about. Look at verse 25. Brothers... And sisters, brethren, that encompasses both groups, pray for us. Pray for us. We all need prayer. 
What this means is that we're being instructed to fellowship with God in prayer. My men's group meets every Wednesday morning. We've been doing it now for over three years. I've been here three and a half years. We've been doing it over three years now. But it's amazing the conversations that you overhear now. See, the restaurant we go to, we go to Mimi's over there on 17th, and uh, there's this group that comes in and basically sits right on top of our table with a leader with a booming voice that speaks very loudly, and I got to cup my hand to my ear to hear what the guy's in my group. The guy speaks so loud. So you can't help but overhearing. I'm not trying on purpose to overhear the conversations. But it's amazing how the conversations you overhear at nearby tables have changed in the last couple years. Guys that used to talk just about cars and sports and stuff like that are now talking about what it's been like to lose their job that paid them pretty well. And now they're just happy to make $11 an hour and get health insurance. Men who used to be the picture of health talking about how they're coping with this unexpected illness. Or men struggling with their marriage or they're dealing with kids not making wise choices or fighting for self-respect after being out of work so long. You need prayer. You need support. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That came right before rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. You see, you can't really rejoice and pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances, which, by the way, again, is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus, the scriptures tell us, unless we're right with our brothers and sisters. We're to pray. We're to pray. And you know how much it means to know that someone's praying for you. What else are we to do? Look at verse 26. Verse 26. And by the way, we're not going to do this one today, literally at least, unless you want to do this with your own family. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. In our culture, we just love that, don't we? Now, there are a few people here that aren't in my family that I kiss every Sunday on the cheek. And they're, with all due respect, they're older than me. And uh, it just is right to have that greeting and give a kiss on the cheek. Right? So, but here's the deal. By the way, I, one, one time I saw someone try to apply this verse in a very unholy way. And let's just say that the husband of the person the, that was trying to, that didn't want to be the recipient of that, went up to the person and said, what are you doing? And they said, greet one another with a holy kiss. It's like, well, you're not trying to do that to me. It's interesting who you picked. It's not what it means. Greet one another with a holy kiss. It means to welcome 
fellow believers. It means to engage in relationship with them. It means to greet God's people. It literally means to fellowship with God's people. That's what it signifies. In those days, people would greet one another with a kiss. I'm Italian, and I kiss my son on the cheek. I kiss my dad on the cheek when I see him. It's kind of like that. They kiss on both sides of the cheek. It's a, it's a greeting. A lot of cultures have it. Ours just doesn't. But here's the thing. You've got to think about not the action, but what the action signified. What did it mean? What was it pointing to? Well, here's what it pointed to. We are to live in such a way that we get along with our brothers and sisters in Christ and have unhindered fellowship. You don't greet warmly those you're not in good fellowship with or else it's a false greeting. See, this is a holy kiss. 1 Peter 5.14, similar, says greet one another with a kiss of love. A kiss of love. It's not the treacherous or unholy kiss like Judas gave Jesus. And every one of us probably has greeted people that we just don't like. Give them a smile, and we don't mean it. That's right. But no, this is the idea of being able to greet one another with a clear conscience, look each other in the eye, knowing that all is well between you and them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Live together in such a way that all is well. What else are we to do? Verse 27. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Wow. We don't know the strength of those words. Being put under oath in a biblical context meant you had to do it. Now why would Paul be saying, you've got to read this letter to everybody. You are under oath. Which had a stiff consequence for breaking. It was that kind of a thing. Why? It was, to, allow, it was be, to be read aloud to everyone in the community of faith, right? Including those that were wayward, including those that were, that were uh, idle and all that. But the fact that these letters were to be read to the church shows the authority of Paul's letter. It assumes they were written to be understood by believers. The public reading of Scripture is a part of our worship because the Bible instructs us to have the public reading of Scripture as a part of our worship. But this is the mind-blowing part. This, he knew it was God's word before the canon of Scripture was set. That all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. That we would be equipped for every good work. This is God's word. He knew this needs to be read. One last thing. Another thing we ignore often at the end of letters in the Bible. Verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Rest in his grace. Be enveloped in his grace. It's like an umbrella over the entire letter beginning to end grace grace be still and know that he is God trust in the Lord with all your heart working together with him the scriptures say we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain 
See, God does not want us to strive, but to rest in Him, to be at peace. He's the God of peace. He doesn't want us to disengage, but to have fellowship with Him and our fellow brothers and sisters. He does not want us to lash out in anger, but to rest in His grace. It's like God is saying to us, you don't have to worry about the sanctification. I will do that. You just go out and do what Christians do. Pray. Fellowship. God's word. Relationships. Go do what Christians do. Live and share the gospel of Christ. By the way, living and sharing the gospel of Christ is not sanctification. It's what God does through the process of sanctification. We don't sanctify ourselves. God does the sanctifying, and he will do it. So whatever it is you're striving about, or disengaging about, or lashing out in anger about, God knows those things, and he understands those things. And maybe you feel like you're at the end of your rope and your back's against the wall. With all due respect, good. Because now God has your attention. Now he can have you dealing with some things that he wanted you to look at before, but you were too busy to look at when all was going well. You see, when God gets our attention, when we're called out of our zone into his, there is a clarity that comes that cannot be experienced in times of ease. There is substance that cannot be gained in times of plenty. And it comes through the paring down of resources. It comes through the taking away of strength. It comes through the the taking away, eliminating of distractions that God brings about when he is purifying someone's soul. When he's bringing about growth in Christ-likeness. When he is bringing about sanctification. So there is hope, even though you might not see it right now. Let's pray. Lord God, it is such a great source of comfort and assurance and encouragement to know that we don't have to do the Christian life on our own, that you are in control, that you are sovereign, and that we're just called to cooperate. And Lord, we know that we can't please you or do any good thing without your enabling without the Holy Spirit's indwelling. But we also know, Lord, that you will strengthen us for what you want us to do. And so we want to do what we're called to do, Lord. And we trust that you will do your work of sanctification and preservation in our lives. That you will do what you have purpose in our lives in your good and perfect time. We know you're not running late, Lord. And we know you will do everything you do for your glory and our good. And we thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.